be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. And correction! Hello, everybody. It's me, Ms. Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, and it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, she's a woman. And it's your number one news source for stories about period health, dogs, and death. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm good, I guess. <laughs> we love that. I know. I'm like neither here nor there, you know? I want to talk to you about sleep a little bit today because uh, okay. I took a melatonin last night and I literally feel like my brain is made of molasses. Yeah. It's a tricky road to go down with sleeping medications. I personally love it. And I think <laughs> I take sleeping pills every night. This is going to sound really unhealthy, I feel. But yes, I love NyQuil. I love to take Benadryl to knock me out. And melatonin sometimes does it for me, but I find I normally have to mix melatonin with something else because my brain is so messed up from all the other stuff I take. (laughs) Sleeping in New York is the craziest thing. We were kind of just talking about this. I live right behind a McDonald's. And so at four in the morning, because it's a 24-hour McDonald's, I will hear people just blaring their music and it just wakes me up and then I can't get back to can't get back to my nightmares, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I would recommend that you get earplugs because I've done that and it has changed my entire life. Don't they, like, they stay in your ears all night? They stay in your ears all night. They're very comfortable. You can just hear your own little heartbeat and it's great. I have this irrational fear of them going inside my ears, like into my body. Is that insane? You described it. You described it perfectly. It's an, okay. it's an irrational fear. It's not, it's not possible. Happen. No, because they're too big on the on the ends to go into your brain. And we've gotten really off track. We have gotten very <laughs> off track. So let me focus us again because it is time for some good news. I want to dive right into our serious groundbreaking interview, Caitlin. But first, I have a little treat for you. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about our favorite drink. What's our favorite drink? You know what our favorite drink is, (laughs) Caitlin. Everybody that listens to this show knows what our favorite drink is. So here's the good news. Scientists are saying that a coffee plant from West Africa might save the coffee industry, even as climate change threatens to destroy the land where coffee is usually farmed. All right. If you listen to this podcast literally at all, you know that Caitlin and I never utter a word on the microphone without having a cup of coffee at our side. Isn't that right, Caitlin? It's very true, yeah. I had my jet black death wish coffee today. You don't put creamer in your coffee anymore? I wanted to be awake, so I was like, you were like, unadulterated. But no matter what, no matter where we are, even if we are on the other side of the world and we don't speak the language, we will get our coffee in the morning. Coffee is the center of our basic lady universe, but our precious coffee is being threatened. 
According to BBC News, climate change is making coffee increasingly difficult to grow. Some studies suggest that by 2050, half of the land used for high-quality coffee will be unproductive. That's where our hero coffee comes in, Stenophylla. Stenophylla is a rare wild coffee from West Africa that tastes like Arabica coffee, but grows in warmer conditions. The plant was recently rediscovered growing wild in Sierra Leone, where it was historically grown as a coffee crop about a century ago. It's hearty. It tastes great, according to the tasters. I read a lot of reviews. Okay, good, good. She, She tastes good. She tastes like regular coffee. And it may just be the answer to the coffee and climate change problem. I like this story because it makes me think that when it comes to climate change, we don't have to resort to a state of pure panic. We can think of Mother Nature as a source of abundance and solutions, a force that we can work alongside with to make things better. This kind of reminded me of talking with Sophia Lee, who was like, you shouldn't panic about climate change. You should be concerned, but have an optimistic attitude. That way you won't shut down. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if you look at things with optimism, you're more likely to be able to focus and find solutions and discover the new coffee plants. Whereas if you're looking at it with panic, yeah, you're just like, everything's horrible, I'm staying in bed. Yeah, you're, right, exactly. And you stay in bed, which is where yeah, you and I should have stayed he, this morning. Yeah. <laughs> the more stories like this we hear, the more calm we are, the more likely we are to get up and take action. If we just panic and think everything's coming to an end, we're more likely to get too frozen up to take action. So that's our good news for today, Caitlin. Our podcast can continue because coffee can continue. Anyway, enough about that. Let's take a little break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We love reviews, Caitlin. Don't we love them? We love them. I think about them day and night. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, we love them so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. So send in your reviews and you could have your review read on this very show. But now, Caitlin, it's time for the most important part of the podcast, besides the credits, of course. (laughs) It's time for our interview. Okay, so tell me about how you found our guest for today because she's fascinating. She recently, which I guess you'll find out in the interview, she recently did a collab with Dolly Parton. Obviously, I follow all things Dolly Parton related news. And so I was curious. And then I was like, oh, what a great this is a woman owned ice cream business. And then I was like, this seems this sounds familiar to me. I feel like I've heard of this ice cream lady before. And then um, I remembered that Nina West also did a collab with her 
like a couple years ago and she like had shown up on my feed then. So kind of always been in the orbit in a way. Basically, it was the Dolly Parton one that made her pop up the most recently and made me think, let's talk to her about how she started and then got to a Dolly Parton collaboration. That's a big deal. <laughs> that, that is a huge <laughs> you know? deal. And <laughs> what's funny is that she's this very smart businesswoman, but she has been through a lot of twists and turns and overcome a lot of challenges in her business. So I'm very excited to dive in and talk to her today. All right, everybody. Jenny Brittenbauer is an American ice cream maker and entrepreneur who changed the game when it came to American ice cream. Jenny opened her first ice cream shop, Scream, in 1996, then founded Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams in 2002. Her first cookbook, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams at Home, is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller and won a coveted James Beard Award in 2012. As founder and chief creative officer, Jenny remains in charge of all creative output from the ice cream itself, to the supporting details that enhance the experience of eating it. Jenny is a 2017 Henry Crown Fellow and has been recognized by Fast Company as one of the most creative people in the business today. So Jenny Brittenbauer, thank you for joining us. Where are you? How are you? And what are you doing? Hello. Um, well, I am doing great. I'm in Columbus, Ohio, which Ohio is kind of shaped like a heart and Columbus is right in the middle. So it's a great place to be. You're at the heart of the heart. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's actually kind of like the heart of America, kind of like where you would put your hand if you were saying the pledge. So there's a lot of heart here, let's just say. <laughs> oh, I know from watching your interviews that you love Columbus and that it serves as an inspiration for a lot of what you do. If you're looking around for an idea, you're like, well, what would Columbus do? What's available in Columbus? What's What are our strengths? Do you know what I mean? Yep. Every city has both and every human strengths and weaknesses, abilities, disabilities, and so on. And that's my city too, you know, and I often choose to pull the best stuff from it and carry that with me wherever I go and also choose to stay here and tackle, help to tackle some of the issues that we have as well. To me, it's all about, I wrote an essay in my first book, actually, in like the last page, there was an extra page. And I was like, let me write a little essay um, about, <laughs> about flavor. And the idea is that flavor, if you look it up in the word, if you look up the word flavor in the dictionary, it actually means the essential character of something. And then I always add, or someone, but flavor is everywhere. It's around, it's, it surrounds you. And so a long time ago, I decided that I wasn't going to go to Portland or New York or LA, San Francisco, Chicago, any of the big cities, New York, whatever. I was going to stay here and, and work to either create the city that I wanted to live in, you know, what doesn't exist, but also to see the city with the, um, with the eyes of optimism and love. And that's what I've done. And I think that is applicable all over this country. I also travel a lot and I see so many sort of call them secondary markets or whatever you want to call them, sort of smaller cities, absolutely rising to their power because of people in those cities, entrepreneur, artists, um, and other like, you know, interested in, and, and activated people who are making those cities sort of bringing back this amazing culture. So it's pretty fun. So I live in a city like that, yes. <laughs> it sounds like you always look for the best in things and the best in times. And that's why I want to ask you this question. I asked this of a lot of people that we talk to, but I think for you, it's like the perfect question. We're coming out of COVID bit by bit. 
And as someone who runs 50 ice cream shops across the nation, what was it like to go through and how did you pivot and adjust and find the best in it? You know, I think this applies to just any challenge that you face. And I have had a very long career, 26 years. So it's not uh, my first crisis or my first, you know, um, uh, fortunately, honestly, because crisis actually clarifies you and fortifies you and it stinks when you're going through it. But um, so I think the most important thing is to come together immediately. Like if you ever, you know, if you're working on a team and, you know, that can be your family, your friends too come together and figure out what the challenge is so that you can actually look at it in the eye. I mean, you know, you've got to be able to say, what is this challenge? What is this beast? And then make your plan. And so for us, it was, you know, the beast wasn't COVID. The beast was, how do we keep people safe? I mean, of course it was COVID, but I mean, it was like, but yeah. our challenge is that we're, we're other people are going to actually solve this, this, um, this disease, but we are going to keep our team safe. We got to keep our team safe. We got to keep our customers safe. If that thing doesn't happen, we haven't earned the right to be open. And so that was our absolute for, in fact, we changed our mission, which nobody does in a company, but we were like, okay, we're going to addend our mission. We're going to temporarily suspend the make better ice creams, bring people together, which is wonderful. And we spend every day in service to that, but we're going to say, we're going to keep people safe, customers and team members. And uh, we're going to try to survive this year. And so anyway, for me, the, the, the process is come together with your, 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 your group, your tribe, your leadership council, whatever it is, look that thing in the eye and make a plan. You can yeah. apply that literally anything. I mean, you know, you're going to like life and, and all of that. So, you know, but always be willing to face it and not run from it. Right. I, you've referred to some of the challenges you faced in the past as a creative person's dream. A lot of the, a lot of the challenges that I think other people would fold under, you were like, well, actually this is a huge opportunity. And it kind of makes me wonder, where do you think in your life, you got that attitude from that problems are creative opportunities feeling? Uh, I think just being through it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, um, I mean, I did, I did grow up with an artist grandmother, but I also didn't grow up in, um, in easy circumstances at all. And so um, I think that being, you know, I don't, maybe it was actually applying the sort of art classroom to life. You know what I mean? I realized that the most creative people are the people who can solve the problems when other people can't. Right. And so um, it isn't necessarily out of the box thinking. In fact, I kind of think of out of the box thinking as irrelevant, right? Because you can't process it. Nobody's seen it before. In the box thinking is that you get to the corners, you're, you learn everything about it and you stay there longer than anybody else. You're willing to uh, suffer for it in a way if that's, you know, whatever that means, if it's studying or pushing yourself to a, a new a new place and challenging yourself so that you can then solve that problem. So there is something about having been through multiple very big crises in my life uh, that that really strengthens your resolve to find those um, solutions, maybe when other people can't or or maybe it's just believing that they're that you can, you know, because you've you've been through it. Yeah. And that's why, you know, don't be afraid of these, um, of, of all these things at this point in my life. And it's probably been at least a decade now at this point in my life, I'm like, bring it on. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not, I'm not good at ice cream. I'm good at, you know, getting through it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So at one point in my life, I just decided, you know, that's what I'm just good at. And then once you become like, kind of, you know, you're just kind of like, you get your, uh, your confidence in getting through the storms. Yeah. Then it's like, the, you know, you can sense a storm coming and you're like, okay, 
you know, steal up. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that things were not necessarily easy growing up. And whenever I look at interviews with you, there's so much about your huge achievements. And I was wondering if you felt comfortable sharing a little bit about what it was like growing up, because I don't know, I have this vision of you like coming out of the womb and making a lemonade stand immediately. I, I picture you as that kind of go-getter person. And I wonder what you were like growing up, if you'd be comfortable sharing. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, I was a person who, well, first of all, I moved every year. So I never had a friend longer than a year. I did have my sister, which was awesome. So she and I mm. could bounce things off of each other and she was 18 months younger than me. And, um, and so one of the things that I always thought though, was that entrepreneurship was kind of a, um, a dream, a source of freedom for me, you know, because you could control, um, you know, you can bring money in, you can control your life. And so from a really young age, I was, um, seeing that as, um, as my, uh, kind of way out, I think a little bit. Um, but I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. Um, I had amazing grandparents. So, um, it was wonderful and actually amazing parents, um, very much alternative thinkers, very, very alternative thinkers, like question authority, you know, all of that. Um, but at some point, and they were very young. My mother was 20 when she had me. And in fact, she had just turned 20 two weeks before she had me, my dad had been drafted into the army. Um, and so, um, so that was, you know, that was tough just having children, you know, going into having a family at 20 years old, because my sister was then born, uh, a year and a half later. Um, but over time things just got bad and they, um, and we moved to Columbus, uh, when I was 12, uh, the family kind of blew up around then. And then it's like, okay, now it's just like, everything just goes, just completely blows up. Um, I had a lot of uh, medical issues too, when I was a kid, like in and out of the hospital, a lot with major surgeries, near death experiences and all of that stuff too. Um, but by the time I'm a teenager, I'm really on my own. Um, my mother had remarried, um, uh, an unstable human being, <laughs> uh, yeah. we were very, um, you know, paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, our electricity, uh, was out all the time. My mother couldn't get bank accounts, um, you know, I know because of these years, how the sort of weight of poverty, how hard it is to, to overcome because, um, you know, I remember one time she got a parking ticket and it, that then spiraled into, um, several things, which, which was eviction, not being able to get a bank account. Then you can't even like rent a car or go to a, you know, get a hotel room because you don't have a credit card or whatever. I mean, what happened? One parking ticket can can put someone over the top for years in in yeah. life, and that is the kind of stuff that would happen to us. And so, when I started my first business, I was really just on my own. My sister had, and I had kind of scattered to try to figure out what we were going to do in our lives, right? Um, and we were just young, so you know, it's just that. And I'm learning that this is really a pretty classic story in America, and so yeah. that's why I'm so comfortable sharing it. I mean, there's so much more, but you know what I mean? It's it's right. that's that. You know what I mean? It's like when I started, I was really on my own. My mother then had a baby who's my 18 year old younger brother. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, it just goes, it just keeps, you know, life holds. Yeah. I think 
the reason that's so fascinating to me is because I think when you hear people say that solutions are possible and that you can face any challenge, I think you have this idea that, oh, well, they must come from an easy life. They must come from privilege. But that's really something that comes for you from, as you said, from experience that, yes, things are possible even when you've been through impossible situations. And then you're talking about going out into the world. And you had so many interests. Uh, they were very different. You went to art school, you studied perfume, you studied pastry. Can you talk about how these interests started coming up in your life and started coming together in your life? So with all of that, somehow, and I credit my grandmothers and actually my mother too, somehow I end up with this like resolve when I'm really young to make the most out of life and to um, be somewhat uncompromising. I mean, I think the life of entrepreneurship is actually a life of compromise in order to get to a certain place, but you're not compromising on your vision, right? You're just okay. compromising how you get there, right? But in this sort of beginning of my life, I was not worried about getting, um, you know, a classic education and going to get a, you know, a, a starting at the ground floor of a company and working my way up or whatever. Like I was not interested in a regular career to the point where I was willing to risk everything for it. Like it didn't bother me that when I got into Ohio State, first of all, I did not get into Ohio State. I repealed that, I appealed it. And then they let me in. I told them what was going on in my life at the time. And, right. um, and then they uh, they let me in. And, um, and when I started there, I just started taking all the classes that I wanted to take, um, which is like, Ohio State is a massive university. So they have classes like on vampire mythology, and so, yes, of course I had to take that class. It was like um, graduate level class that I had to beg to be a part of. I took a whole bunch of French revolution classes, you know, randomly, a lot of art history, a lot of fine arts and very little of the, um, you know, prerequisites, you know, which is like what's right. leading to a degree. All of that was great because, and I actually recommend this to people to do because all of that led me to ice cream. When you follow the things that like light you up, right? Um, you find the crossroads of where what you love to do is of value to your community, right? So you just have to be open to that. And I had done like little businesses growing up. So I did understand the idea of like, yeah, sometimes people just aren't interested in what you have to sell. You know what I mean? And so then, okay, well, what is a value to the community? And so, so as I, I worked in ice cream shop, I worked then at a French pastry shop, loved those. And then I um, was telling stories through art, trying to figure that out. And anyway, it kind of, and then perfuming, I had a, oh, beautiful French boy that I was um, very into for a little while, but he was studying scent compounds. He was a grad student at Ohio state. And so he was the one that introduced me to that. Anyway, you know what I mean? It was like, now I'm following that because I'm very aware of my sense of smell and I love that. And it all comes together in ice cream because ice cream, believe it or not, is actually all about scent, yeah. vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, peppermint, coffee, all of those flavors are actually scents, not something you taste on your tongue. Right. Um, so butter fat or the fat that's in cream kind of absorbs those, absorbs those scents and gets locked in there. And as soon as it hits your tongue, it melts and all of that scent kind of volatilizes. So it's like this beautiful platform for scent and all ice cream is like that, not just mine. And so once I realized that it was like off and running, but the reason I realized that moment, that important moment in my life that pivoted and, and shifted everything was because I had studied all the stuff that interested me. So I understood about perfuming. I understood about butter, uh, just about uh, melting points of fats. I understand. And that's what ancient perfumers would make um, perfumes in like um, liquid or uh, solid fat. whale fat. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I understood storytelling. I understood pastry. I understood ice cream. I how people use ice cream because I had been doing those things. And so following exactly this stuff, like all the stuff that you love is the best way to find this life of passion. Somehow at an early age, 
I knew that I was just going to be uncompromising in my life about that. That first of all, probably because I just don't have a personality that can work for other people. Like I don't. And, and I know people out there right now who are like me either because it's a specific personality and you know it, if you have it, you can be a very nice person who is unmanageable. And I knew that about myself. <laughs> I think I might be a nice, but unmanageable person as well. So that makes yes, sense. Right. I like the way you're really challenging me right now, because I think I have had the wrong idea that focus is uh, knowing what your endpoint is and sticking to uh, an endpoint. And if you don't know what your endpoint is, then you're lost and you're not focused. But what you're saying is that you focus on these passions that come up and they coalesce into where your direction. I'm very vision-led though, like you. I mean, like what you're saying, I am vision-led. So once you lock into a vision and the way that I define vision is when, you know, we all have a million ideas a day, right? And they're all worthless. But when you take an idea and you project it into the future, telescope it out, see what happens then, and it excites you, now it's this vision, right? So an idea, when you project it into the future and you see how people are using it or how it affects the world or whatever, now you got a vision, you have to decide, am I going to get behind this or not? Once you do, it's not a straight line, but you never lose sight of that. That's your North Star and you never stop marching forward. Now it's going to go like swerve, you know what I mean? And, uh, right. and, and back and forth, you know, very slowly up that hill it's not a straight line but you never take your eye off that so i'm with you on that like you never ever ever give up i mean literally unless the train crashes and burns do you get off of it is the way that i think of it but you got to get that get that sort of north star first and sometimes your north star is just i want to be an entrepreneur i want to be in control of my life okay well then that's something that's enough to take a step right it's funny you're making me think about the birth of this podcast i didn't think I want to be a podcaster. I'm going to make a podcast. What happened was I was at a show of mine and the lights came up while I was meeting a bunch of audience members. And I looked down the line of people that were there to meet me. And I realized that 90% of my audience um, is young women. And that sparked in me a feeling that I need to serve who my audience actually is, that I need to respond to who my audience actually is, to respond to women and create things um, for that audience because they're there. And so this podcast was born out of that passion, that moment. And once it became a vision, yeah, I became focused on it. But it started as just like a, a cloudy idea, something that I that I knew I was really passionate about. It's that like aha moment that like locks you in something about it. You know, you, you probably had a million ideas before you had that. And then once you got that, there was something about it that just became this like calling. And it's that you just know your path or something like that. You just know what you have to do. uh, Even if you're only capable of taking one baby step um, at this exact moment. And I also love that you come from a place of service. I just think that when you can put you know, we're all in this way, like we have, you know, business or podcasts, we have all this stuff, but actually I think the most successful people, um, get to that place because we put ourselves aside and serve others. And when you really just want to love people and, um, lift people up, be, you know, make people happy, make people, I always say, maybe people feel loved. Like if you really come from that perspective, everything kind of falls into place. And you found something that people love and you gave it to them. In 1996, you opened Scream, the ice cream shop. What did people around you think when you began to launch your own business and you decided to go into ice cream? Were there people that were like, this is crazy. What are you doing? Or or, or people like, oh, we see destiny taking shape here. Um, most people were, were like, this will never work. Um, because also <laughs> I had had the experience of working for 
I actually loved working in a couple of places that I worked. Um, I, I was really good at it and being on a team and I loved being at work and I like that. But, um, but I did work at this other place and and they were, and I didn't like it and they weren't very nice. And so I kind of overheard them saying one time when they knew I was going to quit to go start my own company, like, Oh, what does she think she's doing? She'll never succeed. She'll be horrible at it. You know, like that kind of stuff. And I like, literally was like, it was like one of those movie moments where I was like around the corner, but definitely, um, most people were like, sort of like pat me on the head, like, that's nice. That'll be a nice couple of year, little jaunt. And then you'll learn how to go back to school or whatever. Um, it's also, I will say as a young woman in Ohio at that time, and even it persists today, people like to pat you on the head. I'm 47 years old right now. Now, uh, people still pat me on the head and they do it like not with their actual hand on my head. Right. It's just the attitude. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, oh, well, isn't that nice? You're like this creative lady from Ohio, but like, you know, I don't know. It's, the vision really came from someone else who saw some potential in you and came in and helped or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, right. They want to do that, but they, they did that back then too. And it was sort of like, you know, um, all of that stuff I have used as rocket fuel, to be honest, it just, like gets in you and propels you because you're like these people underestimate what I'm capable of. And I believed somehow back then that if I just stay focused and take one step and believe me, it was $1 at a time, one ice cream cone at a time. I didn't have a million dollars to start, you know, I got an SBA loan for $20,000 for the first business. And it was like, if I can just do one step a day, eventually I will be out in front, you know, I'll be the only one in this game, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So would that be your advice to young women who, I mean, we know that women's emotions and perspectives and dreams are often given a pat on the head. Would that be your advice to just use that pat on the head and that condescension as rocket fuel? Yes. Um, In fact, um, think of it as one of your best resources and your greatest advantage when people underestimate what you're capable of, you're not going to see them change uh, today or tomorrow. It's going to be a while, but like, you know, it's coming and you, uh, you know it and hold tight because absolutely I am. I have a little phrase that I say inside all the time, uh, which is so dumb, but it like, it's kind of fun to say. And is that I don't give a shit about shit. I don't give a shit about. And what, what it is, is <laughs> what, what I mean by that is actually, I, I care very deeply about some things. And when I use it the most is when I'm sometimes when I get distracted by like projects or whatever, but most of the time I find that it's when people are just being mean or, you know, they want to distract me or they want to, even today, you know, they want to um, get under my skin. They want to push my buttons. They want me to just get distracted and, and focus on that for a minute or to believe that I can't do something or whatever. And in my mind, I have to say, I don't give a shit about shit. I don't give a shit about. And it's really, it really helps me focus on, I don't have to worry about what other people are bringing in here. Um, and I don't have to worry about what they're worried about. Like I'm going to focus on what I can do right now in service of me, my mission, the people around me, the people I'm taking with me and everything else doesn't matter, you know? And so it just helps me to think it's just a goofy little phrase. And it's a little aggressive. So it's not like just see the positive every day. I mean, it's like, I don't give a shit you know, and you're like, you have to sort of say that almost a a little bit aggressively. And so that has helped me like kind of stay focused in that, but yes, it's true. And I will also say women we're finding make really, really good leaders, but the world and business and the hierarchical nature of all of that politics and everything else isn't set up for the kind of leadership that we have and we offer the world. And it's starting to change because we have women 
Now funding businesses, we have women VC and, and private equity firms, um, and, uh, and we have a lot more women founded businesses, a female founded businesses, women in leadership. And as that continues, and, and I don't even just mean women, I mean, that sort of scale of masculine feminine that we all have, you know, right. it's like a sphere, you know, we all have various, you know, um, depending on what, uh, what it is we're doing at the moment, um, capacities, but that sort of more feminine style leadership, which I actually, I mean, I know very uh, other, masculine in some ways, men and women who also have that and feminine, you know, over there. So we're all just this like crazy cocktail of, you know, awesomeness. But yeah. anyway, that thing, that sort of traditionally feminine sort of style, which is more community uh, rise together, more sort of galaxy like leadership versus hierarchies, which I think wow. um, actually works really well. Yeah. So don't be, uh, don't underestimate yourself. That's the one thing you have to not do. <laughs> You ultimately closed Scream to open Jenny's and then you would expand across the country. I'm kind of wondering, when did you know it was time to get bigger? Because I feel it's so easy to stay in safe harbor and uh, and like tend your garden. When is what was that moment that said, "Okay, we're going to go huge? Like, how do you know it's time? Oh man, no, I always shoot for the moon. I mean, um, even when I started Scream, I thought uh, if Ben and Jerry's can do this and no disrespect to Ben and Jerry who are awesome human beings, but they're like not smarter than I am. <laughs> they're like two hippies from Vermont and and they had the similar motivation. They didn't want to work for you know some corporation either. Uh, right. I thought if Ben and Jerry can do this, I can do this, right? And so I was always like, you know, what happens if we change the standard of American ice cream? You know, what happens if ice cream becomes more about telling stories and it becomes more about the ice cream itself versus the chunks and mix-ins, which are also great, but somebody else does that well. What happens when ice cream is forward-looking, not backward-looking, not, not just about that sort of American nostalgic moment of the 1940s or 20s or whatever you want to define as the golden age of ice cream? You know, what happens if we can make art um, out of ice cream or get people thinking and having discussions and chatting and, and make a great place for a date? Um, like with good lighting, when was the last time you had an ice cream in an ice cream shop with actual good, good lighting. lighting, all like yeah. fluorescent. And it's like, no one wants to go there on a date. So, so, um, I just thought like there's room for that. And if that happens, the opportunity is, is really big. You know, I, one thing that I will say, looking back over my entire life, I didn't know what I was doing in entrepreneurship. And that was great because I didn't make a business plan that made other people rich. Right. I didn't make a business plan that had to go get money first you know, turn it into my company and then like immediately be successful in order to pay that back. I did it very slowly, which meant I got to do it on my own terms, which meant, you know, it was all about quality telling stories and service and like creativity. And it could stay like that. And that that was uncompromising. I mean, we, we, we can continue to grow, but it was like, that was what made it fun for us to go to work every day. And that was what we were not compromising on. And I think that was a real advantage to us. So when I give people advice about going into business, hold on to your ownership as long as you can. I mean, now, of course, I have really great business partners and all that, and that is what enable growth, but you have to hold on to your ownership, at least until you create a brand that is meaningful to people and that people trust because it's real and authentic. You know, you can't do that if you give up control too early. Nobody can. <laughs> when you're talking like this, I hear the amount of energy that you put into your work, into your business. And a question that I hear people ask you a lot, and I think that women get asked a lot, is about 
work-life balance, this sort of shock that you can be um, at the time of some of these interviews, a mother of two uh, and, and doing all of this business. And your answer is so similar to mine when it comes to work-life balance, but I want to hear you talk about work-life balance and what your philosophy is. like, whoa, what is my answer? Give me on a different day. And I don't even know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> I uh, just, I am not looking for a life of balance. Um, I think people think that balance is when the, it's like the pendulum is right in the middle and everything's falling into place. I, um, I am looking for a life that's super fun and, and exciting. So the pendulum is always on one side or the other, you know, everything's kind of flaring up all the time. And, uh, and I'm okay with that. The only way to get okay with that is to be okay with not, not necessarily fitting into all the norms of, of our society or whatever community you live in, uh, because that's what creates this, this feeling of unbalance. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. I don't care if my kids are straight A students, I'd rather them have like, um, you know, become rich and, and, and I mean like, uh, emotionally rich, um, and people, um, I don't, I don't, I don't have the sort of landmarks that other people do um, for a life. Um, so we are out here as um, explorers is the way that I see it. And I, when I say we, I, me and my kids and my family, you know, we're kind of out here just doing it. I don't worry about them at all. It's, you know, I think that they're just, they're already sort of different thinkers and, uh, and that'll be interesting. But, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to raise people who are different thinkers because if they have the expectation that they're supposed to be this same stuff that everybody else is, and I don't have that expectation, then that's where you get misaligned with your own kids. And then that's really hard. So if I was going to say anything, it's just that communication and love, unconditional love and communication is where, um, where you get the, I guess you earn the license to not have necessarily the balance or not be always seeking it. <laughs> yeah. I think there's this idea that you have to, like you're saying, hit certain goalposts, certain milestones in order to be so-called in balance. But I think like, like you're saying, again, it's more about being in tune with the richness inside yourself and personal care. And sometimes personal care means being up till four in the morning, pursuing your dream and being exhausted the next day and doing it again. That's not life out of balance. If that's where your passion is driving you, that is that's life very much in balance. You have room for the things that you truly care about. And it may look different from other people's balance, but that's your balance. You know what I mean? So I like to go back to sci-fi and fantasy. That's like, uh, you know, I always, people ask me what my favorite business book is a lot. And I always say it's the Lord of the Rings movies, but I always go back to these. I mean, cause you know what, there's a reason that we tell these stories so often. They all have these lessons, but, um, but, but right now I just want to say, you know, the way, and that's straight from Alana, but you know, um, you know, the way go inward, yeah. don't ask somebody else. Or, you know, sometimes we want to know other people's opinions and that's all fine too, but, but not at the expense of going inward. You will find the answer. If you just ask yourself, does this feel right? right. If it feels right, it probably is right for you. Yeah. And if it isn't, that's fine because you're going to learn from it. And that is invaluable information for you to go ahead and do that. Learn. It wasn't necessarily the right way. And now you know why, and now you can make another choice living a life of asking yourself, does this feel right? And if so, yes, go for it is a, is a life of committing, just learning how to be in this world in an accordance with, with your own nature and nature, right. Instead right. of trying to live up to other people's expectations all the time, which, I mean, you know, that's, that's, you can't do, no one can do that. Yeah. <laughs> no one can. 
Now, in the most urgent news possible, you have done a collaboration with Dolly Parton, the like current president of our nation. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that collaboration, how it came together and that experience of, I mean, in- engaging with Dolly Parton <laughs> so important. <laughs> incredible, obviously, but I want to say too, that we never pay people for collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um, at and so we start with, well, well, we did a, a collaboration with Tyler, the creator, uh, a couple of years in a row. And he reached out to us because he was like a, a fan. And we were like, are you kidding? Of course. And so after that, we were like, who do we want to work with? Like who, you know, and, and it was Dolly. And so we were like, well, let's just ask you know? Right. And so we reached out and she said, yes, which was like, you know, the biggest lesson ever. Like, first of all, I will say most people say no. And I still, to this day, whenever I travel, I reach out to the first person I want to meet up with in that city. And it's usually the first person I want to meet up with ignores me completely. And then you keep going down the list, you know, and eventually somebody, um, and it's usually the right person, like you end up meeting up with or whatever. But anyway, so we always start at the top of the list. So when someone that's at the top of your list actually says yes, and it does happen occasionally, man, what a moment. And that was our moment with Dolly. And so then I learned that, or we learned that um, she loves strawberries. And then it was like, I knew what I was going to do. And that was like, I made her three flavors, but I knew strawberry pretzel pie was going to be the one. I just felt it. And uh, (laughs) it's just so good. And, uh, and, And it was, and that was the one that won. We actually talked about this earlier on another episode of the podcast about how, you know, if you tell yourself that your voice isn't going to be heard or that certain options are impossible for you, you'll never take the chance to reach out and ask. And don't be afraid of hearing no. Don't be afraid of that not working out because then there's another dream. But if you allow your, your, your fear or your doubt that you're they're not going to want to work with you or, you know, have that collaboration or whatever it is that you'll never have the chance to see it happen. You know, when I was, um, when I was young and I got my first job, somehow I knew my first job was going to be in an ice cream shop. And one happened to open in the neighborhood. I had just moved to the neighborhood, actually not far from where I'm sitting right now, but this is when I was 15. So I've moved in a lot of places since. Um, and an ice cream shop happened to open up in my neighborhood. And I was, we didn't talk about this yet, but I was a deep introvert. I mean, I still am. I mean, I love people, but I still am like, a, um, I need to, re, you know, I, I had to regroup on my own, but I was, people called me shy. You know what I mean? Like everyone knew me as this like shy kid, which I don't know why, but I hate that word <laughs> probably because <laughs> of that, but I was very quiet and very nervous in front of people. In fact, when people were looking at me, I couldn't speak. I like, I couldn't get words to move through my mouth. Um, I would just freeze. And, uh, and it was a lifelong thing. And I've had to work really hard to sort of overcome it. It still happens sometimes. But um, so going to work on that first day, uh, I was really scared. And my mother noticed it. And I was, uh, and she said, did you know that Meryl Streep is shy? And I was like, Meryl Streep? Um, I didn't know that. Um, she was like, yeah, she's like super quiet. Everybody knows her as this like really shy person. But when she puts on a character, she, you know, she comes alive. So I walked to work that day and I was like, okay, what's my character? My character is the best ice cream scooper that ever was somebody who's not afraid. You know, I I just went down the list. I thought, who am I right now? Somebody who cares for what others want. And I got behind the counter and I excelled at that. So even to this day, that's what I do. I just put on a character a little bit. Who is this person I'm trying to be when I'm really nervous about um, what somebody, how much somebody, and that might just be going into a meeting in my own company 
with an opinion that I know people aren't going to like, um, I will just say, who am I right now? Who am I? Like, I'm this person. I will do this. Or and, and then, okay. So put on a character when you need to let that be okay. Like that's part of you too. And then the other thing is at the end of every day for at least, I don't know, since I was a teenager, actually, I, um, sometimes I look in the mirror, sometimes I sit on my beds, but I always forgive myself for all the, the stuff that I just did that was stupid today. Cause we all do that. Even if nobody else notices, you notice your thing and you're going to spin about it. So I forgive myself. So those two things are like to this day, um, I will sometimes, if I'm really scared about something, and by the way, you should always be scared because that's where the fun part of life is. I will put on a character if I need to, that way I can put my ego aside, my ego, the thing that's trying to protect me, the thing that makes you scared. Um, and I can behave, um, in that way. And sometimes it's wrong. And then I have to go forgive myself at night, <laughs> but self-forgiveness is literally part. I mean, it is such a key because otherwise it will be paralyzing next time, you know? So you have to say, I forgive you for, you know, looking like a dumbass today or for saying that stupid thing to that person. Sometimes I actually do have to apologize to people and it's all okay because it moves you forward. We talk about this, my producer, Caitlin, and I, with drag queens a lot. When you see a drag performance, if you're seeing a great performer, sometimes they will slip and fall. And sometimes you're seeing an okay performer and they will slip and fall, or a terrible performer. It doesn't matter. Everybody slips and falls. But mm -hmm. the really magnetic drag queens that we see are the people that get up and keep going and have already forgotten about the fall by the time they're back on their feet. And the people that are held back in their career are people that say, oh, it's over now. The whole evening is over because I, I fell. And for a long time, I was that person that would fall and not forgive myself. And it was paralyzing. And I think I learned to put on that character of the person that's okay with falling. And then I became that person that's okay with falling because you saw you saw that before you and you were like okay that person is the biggest badass in the entire world they just got back up like nothing was even wrong and now you can channel that and become that so exactly you've seen it in front of you yeah yeah and it is so cool to see that it's so cool to do that too you're like i know i just fell and you know what i'm gonna walk in here anyway you can also channel that badassery that it is <laughs> during those moments. I'm going to stand up straight, you know, and I'm going to move on. <laughs> so you shoot for the moon at all times. And I wonder what's your next big dream for yourself? Because I, I want to say uh, for Jenny's, but I, I, I want to say for you, what's your big dream for yourself? That next step. Well, I mean, Jenny's is doing so well and um, we, I know, and I work on this incredible team where we make all the flavors and do the creative, we do all of the artwork and all of the, just everything in house because I studied art. So it's always been that way. And it's just part of the fun that we have. So it's not just ice cream that I think you get when you come to this, it's, you know, it's service, but it's like artwork and just all of the things. And that's so fun. But, um, but I can do that pretty quickly now because I've got this incredible team. And so I'm working with them every day a little bit, but I'm also um, able to sort of focus on some other things. So I'm doing actually sort of what you're doing in a way, which is like, I'm creating a bit of a show, which is like, um, I'm working on a speech from a very different point of view than, than other people speak. Um, when it comes to like speaking engagements and things like that, I have very different take on 
things like entrepreneurship and how it can move um, uh, uh, just lives and how, and and um, create economic equity and things like that uh, across the country, but how it has to start with imagination and not funding, and and that we need to. Um, we need, we need entrepreneurs who understand that they need to hold on to ownership as long as possible. We need to get back to start small and build. There's a good reason, you know, to have like the sort of VC and private equity and shark tanks of the world and all of that and fast growth as well, but not at the expense of also letting our young people know that you can start something right now with very little and put one foot in front of another and build slowly. So I'm really a huge advocate of, of, um, of the power of entrepreneurship for some people, especially people who've been through struggle and uh, whether we all, there's a whole bunch of reasons for struggle, but like that makes good entrepreneurs because you have a little more resilience, I think than others. So there's a whole bunch of that stuff. And I'm just working on like a, a couple of speeches that I can get out and get and literally do like a road show um, to get people frothed up about the potential entrepreneurship, especially young people, but really everyone and uh, the potential for that to change lives and how it's a creative uh, endeavor not just, um, you know, not just the, the, you know, business and entrepreneurship are totally different. Business is a structure of disciplines and processes, whereas entrepreneurship is really a lens through which you can look at the world. It's much more like art. It's about uh, creativity and, and creating value and seeing, you know, how you can make something better, you know, so it's yeah. a beautiful lens to look through the world in. Well, I'm, I'm floored. I, this is, I feel like I just got an entrepreneurship class and, uh, like this has been so wonderful. This is a masterclass. You are an entrepreneur. I mean, all of this is entrepreneur. You know what I mean? We can all be entrepreneurs right now. Yay. (laughs) So thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, I can't wait to follow and watch what happens next. Um, so for all of you that uh, if you don't have a Jenny's next door, um, there's something to look forward to still. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope that we'll be able to talk to you again. Anytime. Thank you so much. And, and, and just best of luck to you and to all of your listeners. You know, obviously we know the potential is just limitless. So stay in touch. <laughs> all right, Caitlin, that was our podcast for today. I feel like so inspired. I feel like I need to like start waking up at 6 a.m. every morning and like starting my business before like 8 a.m. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I felt like I don't know exactly. This is a feeling and not a fact, but I was like. I feel like I should have paid for this course. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, right? And um, I feel like she uh, she seems like, yeah, she seems like one of those teachers you'd be really inspired by. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, school is worth it because I met this one really great teacher kind of feeling, you know? There's something about the fact that she opened up to us and talked about some of the challenges that she faced when she was younger that made it so poignant She's seen personal challenges, she's seen entrepreneur challenges, and she's never let any of it get in her way. And I really think I I need that right now, coming to the end of the pandemic. I've been stomping around saying, I will never get over this pandemic. I will never forgive the pandemic. And I will never forgive myself for not doing enough during the pandemic. Yeah. And she's making me think that that's just not the right way to treat yourself or the situation. Yeah, and I agree because I can't listen to you rant about your anger anymore <laughs> either. <laughs> oh my god! And and I just felt that 
we had a lot in common with some of her perspectives that she has because God knows I hate the work-life balance question. <laughs> Every time that's talked about, I'm like, God, everyone is so annoying. You know, I hate that. <laughs> and I like I like what she said about it's sort of like a fake it till you make it kind of like just put on a character that you need to be for that situation to get through it or, right. to, you know, and I kind of have to do that too because I can be kind of like, oh, I just want to stay home and I'm nervous or shy, you know. Yeah, there's like, there's self-care, but there's also sometimes I think you'll just tell yourself like, I can't, I can't do it today. And I think more often than you think, you actually can do it. You actually can do it. And if you have to think about Meryl Streep doing characters. Oh. You know? (laughs) Talk about someone that is beloved by mothers and daughters. Like, you think I'm beloved by mothers and daughters. Like, Meryl Streep, like, my mom also used Meryl Streep as, like, my you know, goalpost for me. She'd always be like, remember Meryl Streep? She could do any character, you know what I mean? (laughs) It felt like it was just five minutes because her energy is so amazing. So anyway, everybody, I hope you love that as much as we did. But now it's time for a little break, Caitlin. Okay, we're back. Now, first of all, I want to say this again. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Caitlin, I'm going to switch things up a little bit today, and I'm going to read one of my favorite reviews that we've gotten. Okay. Here we go. This is from Lauren Lee from Semaine Health, and they sent this after we did our podcast recording with them. They said... Miss Cracker and Caitlin, thank you all so much for having us on the podcast. We are seriously blown away by the Terry grossness of it all. Thank you for your thoughtful questions and for helping untaboo periods and women's health in general. We'll leave you with a photo of Toby getting ready for his podcast close-up. Worried expression, always present. And they attached a picture of Toby looking worried with his little microphone (laughs) under his nose. So um, I thought that was a really nice response to from one of our guests, and it just made me really happy. Yeah, and um, we got a dog picture from it, and they compared you to Terry Gross, your hero, you know? I know. So. Dogs, Terry Gross, what more could you ask for? And by the way, if you are twiddling your thumbs today and you don't know what to do with yourself, just DM us either at M-I-Z underscore cracker or at She's a Woman Podcast, all one word, all lowercase. Just DM us a picture of your dog oh, and it yeah. will change the course yeah, of our day. It really will. Yeah. You can be the dog change that you want to see in the world. <laughs> but enough about that. Time for the credits, Caitlin. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Not as ready as you, but I'm ready. You can hear the excitement in my voice. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! And I'll be with you. We kind of harmonized during yeah, that. She's a woman like... I know, mm-hmm. right? I was like, I, we should keep working on that. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're doing a great job. We're practically the Von Trapp children. <laughs> 
having me happy. You're welcome. <laughs> the sound of music in my cracker's voice, you know? <laughs> America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.